0: And I can see by how you look, oh yes you're feeling, all this brother's style I see the look in your eye right wondering, just how I get it down Oh I'll have you moving crazy, I'll have you moving around You'll be acting oopsie daisy, don't act like you ain't down
1: the Block channel uh, we're back for episode 19 this week uh, and we have another double header that's two in a row uh, last week we were joined by jared and matt from status and now today we're joined by galen and curtis from the Urbit project and then our my co-hosts today are dr petty and dimitri so if you gentlemen
2: just want to go ahead and introduce yourselves as always, Doctor Petty here to ask some hard-hitting questions. And D, uh, the other
1: ho- the other co-host, also known as Black Sauce Double Oh Seven Point Five on the PlayStation Network, you can find <laughs> him playing Battlefield One. <laughs> and uh, and I'm Stephen Mackey. Everyone knows you guys know who I am. Um, and then, so, <laughs> of course, we are joined by Galen and Curtis. So gentlemen, whichever one of you guys would like to go first, please just choose and give us a backgrounder on where you're from, uh, your technical background, how, how you ended up in the space, and just just give us, a, give us a
3: breakdown. Sure. I'll do my best. So I'm Galen, and I'm actually from around here. I grew up in Santa Cruz. And <clears throat> let's see, my background is a little bit weird. I actually have an architecture degree, uh, so I kind of grew up... Loving designing things and making things, but then I was, you know, close to Silicon Valley, so it was just the norm that you would, you know, actually build the things that you designed or wanted to see in the world. (laughs) And I was surrounded by a bunch of nerds, so I've been coding since I was a kid, but uh, I mostly care about building products. Um, My background is, I mean, besides going to school to study sort of like art and design, um, I worked in kind of like the early interactive world. Um, So like worked in the agency world, building websites like CNN and stuff like that, like way back in the day. Um, And yeah, I mean, I've done basically everything on the front end and I guess I, as far as Urbit is concerned, I still write a lot of front end code and basically touch everything from visual design and like music or video editing through to kind of like light back end stuff, but I'm not a heavy duty systems programmer. I'm Curtis. Uh,
4: I guess I am a heavy-duty systems programmer. I'm um, I'm really fucking old. Um, I um, went to Brown uh, back in the uh, 80s and then uh, Berkeley in the 90s doing heavy fucking system programmer kind of shit. And um, after that, I dropped out of grad school and uh, you know did some uh, systems programmer shit in the real world. And uh, you know, one of the one of the things I was uh, you know most uh, y- y'all remember WAP. You motherfuckers remember WAP. Um oh, wow. The,
2: WAP. Yeah, that takes it's me been back. a
4: while. Yeah, that takes you back. So I I, I wrote the kernel of like the leading uh, WAP browser which uh shipped like a billion Unix units, except it uh, sucked and maybe like ten thousand people used it, but we still got paid. Uh so hey. you know it <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> know,
4: that was sorry, you know like that uh, yeah You know, but uh, you know, I mean, eventually, if you ship shit that sucks, it catches up with you, right? You know, so um, and then you know, the bottom uh, dropped out of the world. (laughs) It's an
3: important lesson, actually. It it is is an important
4: important lesson. (laughs) If you
1: ship shit that sucks, it catches up with you. Yeah, and
4: and and the thing is that in the in the like in the mobile business, such as it was, and you know, at the time. you had this sort of really long kind of hysteresis, this long like lag time between your shit sucking and people finding out that that it sucked because you weren't (laughs) dealing directly with the consumer. You were dealing with these fucking carriers and these carriers were idiots. Like, you know, I mean, you think the carriers are stupid now. Back in like 1999, they knew nothing. And so, you know, our company was doing shit like we were selling them what was basically an Apache gateway and we were charging them like $3 per user per month for this shit, right? So our numbers were good, you know and um but you know the whole i mean it was whack it was a total shit show you know so um <laughs> you know the bottom fell out of that was it was falling out of everything and then i was like you know okay well i made a little bit of money off of this i'm gonna like um basically do uh you know essentially the phd thesis that i never finished and um you know the PhD thesis that I never finished turned into uh, URBIT. Um so I started working on Urban around uh, 2002 or so, and it's now it's like it's oh, like wow. maybe maybe like five PhD theses, right? It's it's uh, you know it's it's completely out of control, but uh, you know it actually. <laughs> sixth. We might do well on the sixth, you know, but, uh, you know, because this is basically a, uh, you know, a clean slate implementation of uh, our redesign of the whole uh, stack. It's like, um, we're going to take all the 20th century software, which is a field that I know quite intimately, we're just going to throw the whole thing out. Um, <laughs> and and that's basically, uh, you know, whatever it is. So uh, I built that for a while. And then, um, you know, un- you know, for whatever reason, it started to actually work. So I was like, okay, start a company. And in the meantime, um, you know, Satoshi, uh, whoever he is, uh, which is not me, by the way, um, had, um, invented, um, you know, this sort of wonderful idea of, um, we're gonna sell digital assets. And um, it turns out that basically my uh, kind of crazy early 2000s idea of, I'm gonna create a new network and basically fund that by selling address space in the network was actually something that people no longer consider crazy. Um, it's actually, you know, become sort of depressingly normal these days, so. so um,
1: did all the hard work for you.
4: Yeah, Satoshi did all the hard work for me. Well, you know, I, mean, uh, I did some hard, good. yeah. I, I did some hard work myself. <laughs> uh, um, But uh, anyway, so, um, you know, after um, basically uh, building this thing, Urbit uh, now works. So, um, you know, for some values of the word work. And uh, I'm the CTO of our little company here. And uh, Galen's the CEO. And, um, yeah, we're doing it. Um,
2: I got a a good way to kind of bring us into the next part. So I I have a Ph.D. in computational physics. I'm intimately involved with dealing with networks at kind of parallel scale. What... How does Erbit work? What is Erbit and why does that shit not suck? Like, why is the bottom not going to drop out?
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an excellent question. It can be answered in, uh, in several different ways. Um, the um, I guess I would say, you know, from the perspective of uh, computational physics, um Erbit is something, uh, you know, uh, sort of very unusual in a way because it's a deterministic operating system. Um, So, you know, when I say operating system, I I don't mean uh, this is something you run on the bare metal of your PC or whatever. I mean, it's kind of an operating system in the sense that, you know, the browser is except that the browser has this kind of transient quality. It's not meant to sort of live forever. But um, whatever it really is, is basically an operating system where the state of that operating system at any point is a pure and frozen function of its event history and this this function actually fits on a t-shirt we actually we have these t-shirts they're very cool galen designed them they're very cool shirts um but so if you imagine sort of you're designing a computer abstractly and you're saying well what is a computer really uh forget all those kind of legacy peripherals and crap um it's basically something that's um a um um it's a stateful packet transceiver packets come in packets go out and so if you just think of all io as being networking you're going to say well what is the function that is basically a function from the list of packets this machine has heard to its current state. And if you can say, well, I'm going to build kind of an entire global computing framework where for every computer in the world, that's a frozen function. That function never changes and it fits on a t-shirt. Um that's urban. So um it's a pretty different way of computing
2: than what we I don't we're think used
3: the t-shirt doing. was actually an original constraint it's just that it <laughs> has to be simple. <laughs> simple. That's
2: how you started. We can't do this basically... unless it fits on a T-shirt. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. But
4: yeah. I mean, the thing is that you know it fits on a T-shirt. Basically, the design is since it's frozen, you can't upgrade it, and since you can't upgrade it, you shouldn't need to upgrade it. And um,
3: maybe that's the part. That's what is meaningful about the T-shirt yeah. is that you can't upgrade
4: all the T-shirts. So yeah. Well, we, there's you, actually there's actually a typo. There's like an extra parenthesis on our on our T-shirts. So uh, you know some geeks have gotten the T-shirt and actually tried to like you know engineer the T-shirt, and uh, you know they discovered that there's a there's a typo on it. So. <laughs> We do need well, to replace the T-shirts, so is that, but is uh, that
3: a, is that a clear enough explanation? Because there's a kind of like um, even you know there's the, there's another sort of simple way of looking at this. But does that make sense? It's, um,
1: kind of, sort of, not really. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going
3: to tell you to try again. No, it's fine. Uh, so, <laughs> the, the way that uh, well, in very simple terms, Urbit is basically a software package that you can install on any Unix machine, including OSX. X. Um, and that package is basically a virtual machine called Nock. Well, there's an interpreter written in C that implements a virtual machine called Nock. That's the thing that fits on the T-shirt. Nock fits yep. on the T-shirt. Got it. There's a programming language that compiles that virtual machine called Hoon. Uh-huh. The, it's a type purely functional type <laughs> language that uh, doesn't use category theory. Oh, that uh-huh. was, that's the part I wouldn't have included. Uh, so, Nock, Hoon, and then on top of Hoon... Uh, you have an operating, I call it an operating environment, because I always feel like operating system is is a little bit deceptive, but you call it operating system um, called Arvo. And you can think of Arvo as basically the web stack turned into a piece of software that is designed to be run by an individual. So we have a file system, a build system, application sandbox, web server, networking, Am I forgetting mm-hmm. anything? Sure. And, uh, secret and storage.
4: So uh, yeah, so so basically when you look at this from the top down, um, the role of this system is to be what we call a personal server. So right now you have um, the sort of strange, uh, weird environment where um, you know, you had a, a desktop computer, but now your life basically lives in apps controlled by other people. And these apps have this strange architecture where basically they're essentially giant multi-user mainframes. I mean, that's what Facebook is, it's a giant mainframe. You've got, you know, uh, you know, 2 billion users or whatever, and there are basically 2 billion rows in the same database. And so the idea that you would replace that with your own general purpose computer
1: so basically, you're taking like all the components that like a normal user would use on the internet, encapsulating that down and they would just like utilize that as their identity across the web.
4: Yes. So they basically have one computer, that computer is. Just- they have one logical computer, which is probably hosted in a data center Mm -hmm. where you want your durable information to live. But that computer basically has their personal data, it runs their apps, it is their identity, it is their network address, it is basically sort of a complete system. And so, you know, the way way you sort of connect like the sort of original kind of mathematical definition of the system with kind of the role that it has is that, you know, it's like you have to ask, why don't people do this this way already? Why don't people have their own computers in the cloud? And the answer is, you know, pretty simple. Why doesn't my mother have her own personal computer in the cloud? Well, my mother could actually go to AWS, sign up for her free plan, and get this amazing resource for free. Um, the only problem is she'd be administering a Linux machine on the open Internet. Um, so, if you know <laughs> – <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, basically, like, you have you have this, this – um, wonderful, amazing, you know, computing environment, but it's completely an industrial computing environment. It's completely like not a personal computing environment. And to make basically your Linux box into a cloud into a personal computer, it's like, well, you have two problems. One of them is Linux, which is this giant monster from the 1970s. Um, And the other one is the internet, which is this hellish war zone, right? So if you're basically gonna say, well, you know, they're not gonna be managing a Linux box, um, you know, which is this bizarre emulation of a 1970s mainframe, and they're not going to be hanging out in the war zone that is the internet. You're basically saying, okay, what do we need to throw away here? You need to throw away the operating system, and you need to throw away the network. Well, that's throwing away everything. And so that's basically telling you that this whole stack that the 20th century developed is basically not suitable for the purpose of computing that ordinary people can kind of own and control.
1: Well, well, let, let me ask maybe a high level question here. What what drives like the liveness of this network? Like, what drives? What is the motion of incentives behind this network that allows it to actually like function? Like, so so, uh, how, how how I'm trying to understand like in, in order for all these different systems to to uh, interoperate and communicate with each other, what what is driving that function?
3: Like uh, like the people who are running urbits today like on our test network like what like the question is why do people use urbit
4: or how does it work i'm not sure
1: well no 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 the, the question the question is like what is what is driving the incentives behind the individuals to to use herbit like, exactly exactly, exactly.
3: <laughs> yeah like uh like it's the same reason that anyone would have been like on the on the you know on the internet in like 1990 or something like it's 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 a whole new world
4: well there's there's sort of two ways of of answering the question one is um people basically want to you know in the sort of in the concrete in the here and now why do people use this they want to fuck around with something new and cool right um you know that's hardly a novel uh you know experience if you look at the sort of more abstract question of why do people want to take all these apps that they use and have one server that's a general purpose computer rather than a whole bunch of different servers which are special purpose computers owned by other people but you're wait, wait, actually
3: sorry nothing, we can come back to this but like you're asking in a way from the kind of blockchain like is there some kind of actual um, digital asset related yeah like
1: is there like is there some sort of like token pro is there something that is like driving individuals into this network in order to like do something to gain something from being a part of the network I know, so I know you can sell I know you sold namespace of the network. yeah, oh, yeah. but like what else can I do with that namespace aside from owning? um
3: you, yeah, the 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 utility of the namespace is that you're kind of like a pioneer in this in this new world. like the like so when we um so last summer we sold the first blocks of address space. we should probably go through yeah
0: break that down for me, fellas.
3: <clears throat> yeah. so you get the idea of like this thing is a computer um, that lives on top of the Unix machine, yep. right? Uh, yep. So it's a virtual computer. And to run this thing on the network, you need an address. Yep. And the these addresses are finite. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only are they finite, but we bundle them into blocks such that like um, the higher level blocks issue blocks below them. So at the top, we have 256 galaxies. Each like one of those galaxies signs the keys for a block of stars. There are 65,000 total stars, and those stars sign the keys for planets. There are 4 billion planets. So as a user as a user on this network,
4: basically what you get is you get this, um, you know, interesting thing called a ship, which is um, both a name and an address in a way that basically um, is sort of different from the way the Internet works. The Internet, of course, has this dual layer... Um, Naming system where you have an IP address and then you bind a human meaningful name to that with a DNS, right? And in Urbit, you have a one layer system where you basically take so you know ordinary users on Urbit have um, planets, which are 32 bit addresses, just the length of, of IP addresses. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of remembering these planet names as, as sort of treating them as these opaque invisible things which are, ch- are changing like IP addresses, we turn them into names. And so we basically take every byte of your planet um, and we basically map that to a syllable. So yeah. we get like a synthetic name. So I'm, you know, Surig Namtive and, you know, he's Rav Mel Reptile. Um And um, those, are, those are kind of, you know, the pseudonyms which we interact on this network with. So, you know, basically saying when the name is the address and then the address is also a piece of cryptographic property, um you have you know it's it's a sort of very different kind of experience than the internet because this is actually your digital identity it's also what you're literally signing your packets with um and so creating basically a limited space of this you know why are there only uh 2 to the 32nd it's like well the 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 set of of possible short names is limited and so that sort of becomes basically a valuable space um okay. if you imagine a world in which the uh, the internet was funded by saying okay we're going to create this um network and the defense department isn't going to fund us it's sort of logical to imagine um that it could have been funded by basically you know the people who built the internet selling off those big slash eight and slash 16 blocks which were um it's like there are like slash eight blocks which are the equivalent of urban galaxies which were like given to like mit or something you know in yeah. like 1982 because mit is like yeah sure i'll take one and now like this asset you know of mit's is worth like 500 million dollars or something like because they raised their fucking hand um and um
3: the um you know there's it's, so, but to be clear the the value of an address in the network is certainly sort of pegged to the utility of an individual orbit so last summer we ran the first sale and sold blocks of those ad, of address space and those each one of those blocks is a block of like sixty five thousand potential planets someday sure so, so
4: so you know when we ran our crowd sale last summer we basically did a flash crowd sale and we sold um um, you know, slash 16s, which are stars for 200 bucks. Um, and we sold, you know, 200k of those in four hours and then uh, turned the sale off. And um, the uh, so, you know, people seem to somewhat understand, uh, you know, our, uh, our propaganda, I guess. <laughs> Um, but, um, yeah, that's does
3: that way. Does it make it, do you guys understand it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I
1: definitely, I, I understand. I understand the concept and what it is you're trying to do. And that there's like individualized namespace when there's like a, there's a fixed number of assets. And as more individuals join into this network, they, they build more incentivized value into the network for people to build upon it. And uh, so each individual gets their own encapsulized, like, you know, p- point of like their own, I guess, place where they can build up upon anything they want to upon sure. their own space. Sure, sure, it's their own computer. So it's kind of, it's kind of like ESO, yeah, it's basically like a universe of different individuals' computers interacting with each other in this network. Yeah, right. yeah, and, and somehow in the year 2017, it's become like really
4: like extremely radical, this idea that you would control your own computing. You know, it's like people have gotten sort of used to this position of being like digital serfs where like Mark Zuckerberg like changes their UI and they're like, okay, Mark, I guess we have a new UI today. And, you know, and then you've got this like horrible user experience where you've got like these 17 fucking accounts and mm-hmm. like trying to connect them to each other is like, um, you know, in a way there's a term. Yeah, but
3: we're for, not, I mean, in this world, like the, but I mean, we're on, on this podcast. Everyone yeah. knows what we're talking about. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the idea of kind of self-sovereignty is not foreign to the, like. Uh, sure. The sure. And
4: and the thing is, when you look at the kind of blockchain world, mm-hmm. there's a way in which it almost like, um, it's like. People often assume the future, even though they haven't sort of built it yet, and then they sort of go about their lives as if it existed, whereas it really doesn't. And the sort of the idea of kind of financial sovereignty that people are looking for in Bitcoin is sort of an element of this kind of digital sovereignty. And so it's like. When I have, you know, whenever in the world where basically everyone has an Urbit, you know, which is obviously the future, um, you know, Bitcoin still exists. Urbit certainly doesn't replace Bitcoin, but your Urbit is sort of the natural place to store the keys that control your Bitcoin wallet. And, um, you know, at present, you have basically a lot of people who park their Bitcoins in somebody else's wallet, mainly because they just don't have a sort of comfortable, secure place to control their own computing from. And so they're sort of participating in this. They're using Bitcoin as if it was a bank, basically, and, you know, not using it in the kind of proper, you know, Bitcoin geek kind of way. And... Um, so you know a world in which people like control their own computing i mean there's just just no question that there's it's the holy grail the question is you know how do we get there or not is it desirable as far as yes. I'm concerned i mean you all can argue with me but uh, so i've, you know, I've uh...
2: recently wrote about um or discussed this quite a bit in terms of like i i I feel like the reason why we have this current way that we do business or or interact with our services is basically imposed by the infrastructure the technology infrastructure that we built that's, that is that's the exactly internet right. and blockchain until blockchain came out we didn't have a way to not impose those trust relationships on whatever we had with like whoever we decided to like do service with facebook's are a product of the infrastructure and absolutely, absolutely. i would say what you're all trying to do is provide the surrounding infrastructure for people to use around blockchain so that we can kind of decentralize or start these new trust models or bit is this that's, thing that allows people to interact with a blockchain or whatever becomes the internet in the future.
3: I think that's a good way to think about it. Like I think in practical terms, it's worth like to me, basically there are a lot of things that blockchains are good for and are needed for, but there's a lot of your con- of your like computing that you don't really need a blockchain for, mm-hmm. but you still want to do it in a trusted place Uh, and that, and by trusted, I mean, you know, something that you control with a private key, like that you, that you have some cryptographic ownership of, but, um, also something that you feel control over, right? So that is not something where the, yeah, the UI and, and the business logic is decided on completely by someone else. I think there's a big difference between a tool that you feel in control of and a service that just gets provided to you. Sure, I mean, like
4: one like really practical way to look at this problem is to say, okay, you know, um, Clearly, like cloud computing is a good thing, you know, a data center has created an environment where you can have really basically 100% reliable computing as far as we're concerned, you'll never get that in your home, a data center is a great place to run a computer, it's air conditioned, it's, you know, it's got all these goodies going on, Um, (laughs) and, and yet, you know, when you have your Urbit running on somebody else's computer in somebody else's data center that is very categorically different from your Facebook profile which is also in somebody else's data center and let me explain why so this is sort of the magic of general-purpose computing in a way is that when I am controlling the programs and the software that I run on my own data um, there's a kind of you know there's 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 a definition, I mean, in Urbit, there's actually a formal definition because Urbit is, is formally defined, it's this function, right? Um, there's a definition of what my computer is doing. And there's a way to basically define the fact that if my host goes in and like peeks at my data or changes my data, that is totally unacceptable. And um, that is sort of really easy to put in a service contract. And so, uh, you know, the example I always give of how do you achieve privacy in this environment is is Netflix, Uh, you know, obviously Netflix is not a personal computing use, but um, Netflix of course runs its infrastructure on AWS. And AWS happens to be owned by Netflix's biggest competitor, which is Amazon. And, you know, somehow Netflix is not worried at all that Amazon is gonna be like, hmm, I wonder what Netflix customers are running this week, are watching this week. Hey, wow, we could actually find that out. We could just peek into these virtual machines. And the thing is, that would basically, okay, they could do that, they could get, you know, $10 million worth of market research out of that, and it would destroy people's confidence in AWS. Whereas when your basically Facebook profile is sitting there on Mark Zuckerberg's service servers, and it's running Mark Zuckerberg's programs, and there's basically no way Mark Zuckerberg cannot have his greasy little fingers all over your data, and um,
3: they could be clean. I mean, even if they were, they, even if they were clean, fingers, clean fingers, like you know,
4: like, fingers, you know, like I don't want somebody else's fingers on, like you know, it's like next thing I'll be touching my woman, you know, and
2: um, nobody wants the, a finger by Mark Zuckerberg.
1: Exactly. No, no, yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> no,
3: yeah. Yeah. not even a robot. We can all, we can all agree on that. <laughs> so wait, to give you a specific, so it's like, you can think of it to sort of simplify, it, it's like, Urbit's a good complement to, to blockchains, in that like, the your Urbit is a great place to kind of call out to the blockchain, but when you think of examples like, say, just like messaging or publishing, like, where do I keep an archive of, I don't know, photos or something. So a blockchain could maybe provide a trust model for how I could store those with a third party. But Erbit provides an option where it's like, well, you could just do that yourself. The the, the thing I always like to say about, uh, you know, basically
4: comparing Erbit to, to Bitcoin is that I, I, you know, Ethereum in some ways is a better, uh, you know, comparison, you know, Ethereum is, the, you know, the whole world is computing on a cell phone from 1999, right? And i, I I remember these cell phones from 1999 um, and um, you don't want to be on a 1999 uh, cell phone unless you can help it. And so in a way, a system like Bitcoin or Ethereum is sort of like a superconductor. It provides basically this ability to construct basically absolute, you know, trust in a way that requires trusting no one. It's like a trust superconductor. But the mm-hmm. thing is, superconductors are great. But if you open up your iPhone, uh, you won't see a lot of superconducting wires in there. What you'll see is a lot of wires. and. So, in a sense, you know, having this kind of superconducting magic is really sort of best shown if you have this kind of infrastructure of kind of normal I compute for myself kind of you know regular non superconducting you know uh computing around it, and that's sort of one thing that the blockchain you know ecosystem is missing now I mean your URBIT is of course like you know there's a million web services out there that aren't blockchains, so that your Urbit is also meant to talk to because a big focus of the way an urban becomes useful is it basically becomes a mechanism for using um, um web services right um but uh you know that's a that's a slightly different conversation but you know yeah i mean having your own having your own server is just like um i mean it's it's like it's just liberating you know in a sense i mean it's like uh, when i when i you know do propaganda for this i sort of always remind people that there was a time in like you know really 40 years ago when the idea that you would have your own computer is like ridiculous like a computer is like a mainframe in the basement of some bank or something and then you know in 1977, a computer is, is something that sends you, like, billing statements in the mail. And then by 1987, you have your own, and it's just like, whoa, this is completely different. And somehow we've gone back to this. Everybody uses the mainframe in the basement, you know, model, not just, you know, as a way of implementing sort of the data center goodness, but actually that's the experience. Like when we do Facebook messaging, that's exactly like mailbox to mailbox messaging in, uh, in Unix in, you know, 1983. Um, does that make a certain amount of sense?
1: Definitely. Great. So, uh, so, 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 I, I have a question for you. So, what, what, are, what are some novel things that have sort of like, so, so, where is urban at like currently? What, like, what's currently being created or have been created or what's, what's, what, like, what's going
2: on?
4: Uh, okay. Uh, so technically, the current status of the system is we have a running network, it's a mm-hmm. live network, it uh, ships its own updates over the air. Uh, the keys are in uh, test phase. And um, which means they're not sort of real keys. So basically, when you buy cryptographic property from us, you're really buying a promise that we're going to ship you live keys when the live keys are alive, because you know you hate to fuck that shit up. Um, mm-hmm. And um, but this is a you know live working system. Uh, it serves its own website. You go to urbit.org. That's served from an urbit. Uh, you can go to urbit.org/stream uh, and basically see Urbit's own chat network in action. Um, sometimes a little slow, um,
3: but yeah, it's basically it's like it has its own forum. It has its own forum. I mean, for the most part, we use Urbit in a way to bootstrap Urbit development. So, yeah, we tr- and and the most uh, the most sort of work at the moment is still being spent on. Um, you know, getting the core of the system to be completely stable. I was thinking earlier that in a way like the ideal Erbit user today is someone who, you know, sort of aspires to be a core dev. Like, I I don't know how many, um, well, Bitcoin core is a whole other conversation, but like uh, the the kinds of people who hang out in Erbit chat, who publish stuff to Erbit and who are kind of like uh, the community that's kind of coalescing around the project is definitely people who are willing to dive into a pretty young, you know, you know, a pretty young system with mediocre documentation, but where we're around all the time. And there are a lot of people there who can help support you figure out how to use this thing right. and experiment with so,
4: it. So, you know, in, in essence, you know, like part of the 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 thing that happened, I mean the way Urbit has been developed, you know, since since the beginning is that the goal is to have something that is just really fucking beautiful. So like the Urbit, for example
1: <laughs> good way to say it, very elegant. I,
4: really
1: hope, fun, that, really, I hope that's
2: <laughs> how really you like... Yeah, that's do your advertising from here on out. That's perfect. Yeah,
1: really
4: (laughs) fucking beautiful.
1: Uh, You know,
4: and so like for example, the um, you know, the core of Urbit, which is the uh, the self-compiling you know compiler. Um, for for this language Hoon is, um, you know, 10,000 lines of Hoon. That's basically a self-compiling compiler for a tight functional language with all, you know, the standard libraries that it needs. Um, Could be a little smaller, but like, that's pretty tight. The operating system proper, which is basically, that's, you know, a a non-preemptive event-driven operating system. That's a thousand lines of code. Um, And so basically keeping the shit extremely pretty is kind of the only way, you know, it's like, you know, I, I mean, the the as a computer scientist, basically the the work that I always admired the most is like the um, the early Unix papers where they would write the you know these guys fucking hippies hanging out at Bell Labs. They used, they worked on this giant system Multics from um, in the late 60s, which was this giant, like DoD contract thing, millions of lines of code. And they wrote Unix uh, just on this sort of little computer they had in, you know, on the side, Bell Labs, nobody knew knew what they were using it for it. It had 64K of memory. And they wrote this system that basically did the same things as Multics, but it was 10,000 lines of code. And that's the way they sort of write their original papers in the Bell System Technical Journal, is they're basically like, does this, does that, and it's 10,000 lines of code. And what you learn from that 10,000 lines of code is that basically this is a system that is tight. And the goal of basically making a system like this is to say, we with this, you know, a millionth of the resources of Google or whatever can build an operating system that works, that can upgrade itself. We ship, we ship already, we ship our own upgrades over the air. So we basically upgrade the system live. You don't even notice that it's, uh, you know, getting upgraded under you sometimes. and you know to be able to do that in a way that is basically simple and clean and beautiful um, requires rewriting the system over and over again. Uh, you know. Um i think every component basically takes about three rewrites um and so um you know basically i would say that in terms of code quality which is really the important metric maybe about you know 30 percent of the system meets my kind of standards for code quality and the rest is like okay we build it it works now let's figure out how to make it as clean as it needs to be. and kind of the mission here is to basically say we're going to take this mechanical simplicity of the system we're going to take the fact that this is a pure function that it's you know uh, the whole goddamn thing is, you know, still well under 50,000 lines of code for the whole code base. That's including apps. That's including the, you know, the whole stack. And we're going to take this mechanical simplicity and we're going to turn it into simplicity for the user, for the human being who's using the system, because our essential idea is we can make a personal server, a server that is simple enough for a human being, a normal human being to like own and operate, which is a very, you know, kind of bold ambition. And kind of the only way to do that is to basically do it just super cleanly and do it right. Um, so that's that's my real sales pitch, but I can say
1: fuck more if you want. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so actually I have, I, have, I have two questions that can, that, are, that well, two sets of questions that will be very crucial in like closing, closing this up. So the first question um, is going to be uh, how much LSD is <laughs> involved with the names, and that's the first question. Uh, and the second, the second question um, will be, you know, like what sort of what sort of advice do you want to leave uh, with any developers or any key or any individuals that are that are interested in this project? So let's let's start with the first one. What all right. so all these names come from? The, the first one is the you know the
4: LSD <laughs> question. Um, well, you know they used to say a long time ago that it wasn't a coincidence that uh, BSD and LSD came from the same place. Um, <laughs> you know this is uh, you know it's it's certainly a creative project and kind of part of the aesthetic appeal of the project in a way is basically. Um, to say to kids these days, this is not your this is not your father's operating system. I mean, uh, you know, that's a just basic. That's an ad trope that never gets old. And you know, one of the things I find basically when I'm I'm pitching urban to people is um, there's this kind of weird generation gap where people my age, you know, I'm almost 45, which is just incredibly ancient. Oh my god, um, you know, people my age are you know they hear a bit of it and they're like, oh yeah, I understand what you're trying to do. You're trying to bring the basically the dream, you know, the future that we all expected, you know, to see in 2017 when it was 1992 you're trying to make that future actually happen okay that's cool um and then if I talk to kids who are under 25 they're like wow yeah you're trying to build like a computing environment that's like new and like for like my century and then if I talk to people between like 25 and like 40 uh, typically what I'll get is like they'll be like but you're trying to build something new you're a smart person. You know that can't possibly work. <laughs> <laughs> how, could you, how could you ever do that? Yeah, how, how could you ever do that? And it's like, you know, like, look, I, I sympathize with that response, really. Like, I know all the reasoning that's in that response. And I'm like, the answer is, yeah, it's really hard, but I believe it can be done. Um, you know, as for basically um, um, what, what uh, you know, what, what message developers should take from this, I would be like, you know, um, our documentation uh, definitely lags our actual code in some respects. Um, And so it's like, if you're, Interested in urbit Number one, you should definitely be on our mailing list because if you're on our mailing list, you'll receive all sorts of things, including crowd sale announcements. Um, if you're not on our mailing list, you might just get left out. Um, and it's not a high volume mailing list. We only use it for very important announcements. But you should be on our list. And um, where, where, would, where would the link live at for that list? It would live at Irbit.org.
1: It's like okay. Definitely go.
4: Urbit.org. And and the thing is that that um, if you go to urbit.org depending on the level of your interest, you can leave, you know we have relative superficial, lightweight overview documentation. We have a white paper. We well, you have, know, you
3: know, my, I think the me- yeah. my, my my like the oh, yeah. I would tell any like my message to any yeah, this is the CEO any, speaking here. interested in 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 Urbit kind of at all is that like it, like Urbit is supposed to be fun. I, I think that it 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 almost looks too ambitious or too kind of scary or it can be yeah, it's a little bit kind of it's a little if there's certainly things about it that are weird, um, but I. I think that having watched people like other people both reverse engineer it and get involved in building totally insane things on top of it, uh, it's it's a lot of it, it's it's basically exists to be fun to play with it's, yeah and and one of the one of the things that I sort of I
4: feel I've failed at in a way in sort of marketing orbit is that the system is actually much simpler and easier than it looks and it has this kind of um it has this sort of forbidding air of like super high technology but you know in a way kind of the whole point of of Hoon, the programming language for example is to basically make Haskell for idiots right mm-hmm. um because I'm too stupid to use Haskell so I, I figure a lot of other people are as well um and And um, so in a way, basically, you know, once you sort of get past, you know, the sort of shock of alienness, because it is a very alien system and the syntax looks like nothing you've ever seen before, for example, um, once you get past that sort of shock of alienness it is fun and it is whimsical and people really do enjoy it and they're really surprised by how easy it is i mean okay. it's like yeah. when you look at when you look at sort of you know let me just go through a little you know programmer sales pitch here you know this is an environment where for example urban is a single level store so there's no distinction between persistent and non-persistent you know uh, data structures so mm-hmm. this whole shit show that everybody has to go through all the time of object relational mapping where they're like oh i have a programming language to like handle things in memory, but then I have to turn it into a database when I want to save it. And that's, a, well, those were two completely different parts of the CS department in 1868. So I guess I'm going to have to translate them across mm-hmm. this like this boundary. It just doesn't exist in URBIT. Um, when you um, do distributed programming in URBIT, um, you know, your um, all of your requests are typed. Um, they're all transactional. They're all, um, you know, I mean, this is like, this is sort of luxury, this is meant to be kind of luxury computing in a way. And, um, you know, the feeling of basically building uh, a network service in Urbit versus building it in kind of a conventional system, you really get the fact that the system is sort of, has been re-engineered from scratch from the bottom up, allows you to do things like basically, you know, type check transactional messages that are very, very hard in these stacks that are sort of assembled, you know, piecemeal. So there really are, you know, sort of serious goodies underneath the kind of, you know, sort of forbidding exterior. And um, that's, that's another thing I want to, you know, kind of sell to people.
3: Um, yeah, I guess that's the thing that when I say it's fun, I mean that like, one thing that I've noticed over the years being sort of peripherally involved in open source is that like, open source basically just means like bug fixes. Like you're kind of like hanging out, figuring out how to fix a bug in some gigantic software stack that everyone barely understands. Mm -hmm. And what makes Urbit really fun is that like you can, you know, we see people like the last couple of days, someone, what is chart like this? Someone's been working on like a language change, like a deep language change that is a complete, like it's like watching someone, you know, figure out how to, you know, get from, uh, like, Santa Fe to San Diego on horseback and, like... Sure, know, like- sure, and
4: we'll, and we'll merge this pull request and we'll ship that language change over mm-hmm. there. And <laughs> right. we won't even know that there's <laughs> systems has got uh, and, and, you know, somebody built a mud in it, um, you know... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's level, just the like... Other
3: thing, that actually, that happened the other day that was pretty cool is, like, you could build... Someone built a Twitter clone that's completely... that's all front-end code. It's completely JavaScript. Um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just,
4: like, Urbit is, you know... Urban is Twitter at such a level that there's kind of no back end required. Um and there's
3: also not an entire company of engineers required.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah and so, you know, it's it's like it's really um, um you know, we didn't just reinvent the world just to reinvent the world. We reinvented the world to get it right. And and you really will feel kind of that rightness. Now, am I gonna say you should, you know, if you're, hey, you've got this great idea for a an app that's, you know, your next YC startup, should you build that in URBIT? Definitely not, um, mm-hmm. you know, for one thing, URBIT isn't even meant for apps that serve multiple users, it's intended, it's intended for single user apps. So, you know, it's, it's a different paradigm, right? Um, but, um, you know, if you want to have fun, uh, I don't think there's any other source of fun that compares, honestly. Uh, <laughs> but I'm a geek, so I would say that.
1: Um, Are you guys familiar with the Blockstack project? I don't want to, like, I know we were closing this up, but, you know, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, you know, individualized, no, yeah. like, capsulated data.
3: Longstack yeah is interesting i i'm like not as familiar as i should be with it but they, they're doing interesting stuff yeah i, I like this so one of our past episodes you should check it out that's the one i started listening to that when i didn't get the whole thing. One, one thing one thing i noticed
4: basically sort of one way to see urbit is that basically urbit is kind of an attempt you know this insane attempt to build the entire future in one step because we think yeah. it'll basically turn out better if it gets built in one step <laughs> and what we see is basically that a lot of people have sort of built pieces of the future. And they've built basically something. It's sort of clear, for example, you know, it's clear that the the future needs something like Bitcoin and or Ethereum and or Blockstack, which adds a layer of generality to it. Blockstack still is not, you know, you know, whether you're looking at Blockstack or something like IPFS or sort of other kind of pieces of the puzzle. um, Two sort of points about them from the One of them is that basically none of them is attempting to provide this sort of, you know, end to end, you know, one stop shopping experience of like, okay this is your future. The other is that basically as these projects succeed, much like Bitcoin, uh, URBIT is going to be really good at sort of interfacing with them. And so it's like, does URBIT have its own network file system like IPFS? Yes. Are IPFS and URBIT sort of a perfect fit for each other? Well, also, yes, because URBIT loves it's a functional system and it loves immutable data. Um, and so you know the you know one of the sort of neat things about this kind of web three ecosystem that's that's developing is that the pieces of this ecosystem don't really compete with each other in the same way that Google competes with facebook you know it's like there there isn't this kind of there can be only one thing i mean we all we all know that Google kills Facebook or Facebook kills Google, but you can't really say that of even bitcoin and ethereum right uh-huh. and um so i I you know yeah, that's
1: but yeah, Blackstack is very cool, and and we like the stuff they're doing. Oh, that's excellent. No, I think that was the perfect way to like sort of tie in that you know you're trying to build your own thing. It's it's experimental. Come play here, but you know eventually we would love to tie in all these other services with everyone are sure. developing these other great ideas. Sure, sure. How much how much time do we have left? Do we have a left or uh, a little? We, we were um, gonna close. We were gonna close it up here now. Uh, like we're we're okay. we're close oh, to about four to five. Yeah, minutes. yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. Um. No you no guys, for the question. Us, you guys want to leave us with anything? Like any thoughts? Any sort of like uh, thing for the audience to just like like close it out?
3: Um so we're we're kind of at the um we're just at the cusp of releasing some new material. So if you're interested in what we're doing, there's some stuff that we haven't even released kind of internally to the community that will come out in the next couple of weeks, about Mm -hmm. a month or so. Um, So yeah, I mean, if you're interested in what we're working on, it's really easy to come and talk to us, but go to our mailing list. Get get on our mailing mailing list. Otherwise
4: Um, you will regret it. Uh,
3: but yeah, there I mean if in 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 2 3 months we would we could have kind of I feel like a a completely different conversation about you know where this is actually going. But
1: gotcha. we'll then we'll, we'll hold that. we'll hold you guys to that. We'll have you yeah, come back
3: please. Then yeah, we, yeah. We, oh, we, yeah. We, 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 we we would love to.
4: All right guys, great great uh great talking to you, great show yeah, thanks and for having thanks so much for having us on. Thanks yeah, man, you, you guys uh, watch your Friday.
2: All I look right. Look forward to hearing from all later on because uh, it seems as though everything you're doing is pitched directly towards everything I'm interested in. So Oh cool. yeah, 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 we'll Keep yeah, in touch. Keep in touch
1: man. All right, All right. Hi, gentlemen, you have a great day.
2: All right, All right. take care. Take
0: it, take it easy. This episode of Block Channel is sponsored by Gnosis. Gnosis is a decentralized prediction market built on the Ethereum public blockchain. Gnosis provides an open source platform for anyone to predict the outcome of any event and plans to drastically simplify the creation of customized prediction market applications. For example, an individual can create a market on a future event, such as the outcome of a political election or a company's earnings forecast. People from across the world can bet or predict the likelihood of this event actually occurring. Over time, the market aggregates the predictions from users from across the world and Gnosis makes real-time market adjustments. This crowdsourced wisdom is groundbreaking as it provides forecasting accuracy and enables a host of new applications to be built on top of it. Gnosis imagines the future in which decisions are as informed as possible by markets which aggregate useful information in an optimal, open, and decentralized fashion. Check out the links in the show notes to learn more about their platform and upcoming token launch.